This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's Fun Friday. My name is Jeff Sandu. Although MSP is only a couple of years old, Matt Armitage has been doing versions of this show on BFM for the last 10 years. As we get ready to launch a new decade, we're taking some time to look back at some of the changes in science and technology that we've seen over the last decade. Matt? Well, hey, Jeff. You know, normally at the end of the year, I do one of those what we've learned mm. this year type episodes um but you know we've gotten to the end of a, a decade and i started looking at how tech has shifted over the last kind of 10 years and the changes are actually quite astonishing um you know looking at how far we've come it actually really shocked me so for example can you imagine that the ipad was only launched in mm. 2010 mm. um i think i've probably had more than 10 ipads in <laughs> in 10 years um actually it's interesting because richard uh when i was talking to him on bizbyte's show he was saying that that is for him one of the gadgets of the decade yeah exactly the iPad. yeah exactly but to me the the ipad feels yeah. really old yeah. um and <laughs> we're we're already talking about having reached peak tablet, you know, with Apple has talked about, you know, the, the market being saturated. Mm. And that's for a device that barely existed, you know, a, a decade ago. And in 2010, I know that you had only recently kicked your BlackBerry addiction. Yes. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I actually started using an iPhone in 2010, the iPhone 3G. 3G, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, what made you give up hope? on BlackBerry as an operating system? Because no, because I know you were like a real cheerleader for, for I, BlackBerry I, for the longest time, right? I loved it. It was the keypad that, you know, that tactile keypad that you had. It was, I guess it was such an easy way of doing things. And for me to unlearn myself and move into a fully touchscreen phone, which was an iPhone 3G or 3GS, it was so difficult that I just, the resistance to change. Yeah, but when you look back at it now, oh. how important is email to you on your device now? Is it the most important thing? It's uh, actually my emails are on pull notifications. So I actually have to open the email up and then do a refresh to get my emails because it's not and, important. And that's, all. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that was the whole point of your, your device before. But that's mm. how far the technology has moved just in, in those. Um, kind of 10 years but mm. but d again does does that blackberry does it feel like the recent past to you oh man feels so old and but that's the point you know this decade has moved so yeah. fast um and I, i'll be honest i've been struggling to remember <laughs> back to 2016 um you know we talked oh. on geeks last week about the, the photos of the black hole i was actually struggling to think <laughs> six months back to those photos of the 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 black hole higgs boson um 
Yeah, now, oh, what year was that? That was uh, 2012, mm. right? Now, mm. that's one of the elementary particles essential to the standard oh model of God. physics. 2012. And, yeah, and we were only able to prove its existence <laughs> in 2012. And But it seems like we've known about it for forever. Mm. Uh, and we were only able to find that because of the Large Hadron Collider at CERN, which, again, we used to talk about on the show mm. pretty much every week, and we hardly <laughs> ever mention now. Um, so, you know, it's not just about the science. It's about the way that ideas and experimentation and technology and knowledge have all come together uh, over the kind of last 10 years. That kind of sums up the decade for me in, in some ways. You know, it's this idea that nothing exists in a vacuum, of course, apart from <laughs> the things that exist in a vacuum in space. Okay, so would you like to tell everyone what the Higgs boson does? No, you can look it up. <laughs> look, they've been around since 2012. Mm. Um, I'm not a history archive, plus I've done enough physics questions <laughs> for the past few weeks. It's the end of the year, I'm tired, and I'm not doing it. Okay, so let's go back to the iPad for a minute. How has personal computing changed over the last decade? Well, for one thing, no one gets excited about PCs yeah, anymore. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, although, you know, we would have talked about, I mean, maybe it was already a declining trend 10 years ago. Um, but it's it's funny, when iPad launched, Jobs questioned if the iPad should be called a computer. <laughs> now, finally, in 2019, iPad OS has finally turned the iPad mm. into a credible laptop replacement, showing that Steve Jobs wasn't always right in the way that he <laughs> positioned things. Um, but PCs are part of that very old-fashioned wired world. I mean, I'm looking out at the BFM office now, and I can't see a PC. No, yeah. There's not a single PC on yeah. the things. Mm. I, I use a desktop machine at home, mm. but that's specifically because I want a wired-in machine, which is a more stable and safe source of data and operation. But my day-to-day -day stuff is all on, mm. is all on laptops. But we expect everything now to be fully mobile. We expect to be able to access everything on the go. It doesn't matter if it's work, whether it's entertainment or personal. Everything has to be there. And it doesn't matter if it's on your laptop, on your tablet, on your phone. We expect all of those devices to be equally capable of accessing and processing that information. And 4G LTE has a big part in this whole transition, right? Yeah, of course. You know, 10 years ago, we used to say that there's an app mm. for that as though it was uh, a joke. But now there is an app for that. And if there's not an app, there is a website. So, uh, for example, I had to look up some details about my dad's death recently. So when I Googled it, up, up popped a picture of his headstone on some website. Yeah, exactly. So some directory that lists grave markers and the particulars of births and deaths. Who would do that? <laughs> Whose job is it to go round and <laughs> photograph every single headstone mm. in the United Kingdom? You know, we live in this weird world where everything is memorialized online. But, you know, um, let's go back to what you were saying about LTE. So you mentioned you had the iPhone 3G or 3GS back in 2010, right? Yeah, one of those. Yeah, I had the device. I gave up my BlackBerry Bowl 9700, I think. Yeah, yeah exactly. So <laughs> 3G, which mm. was what you were using then, mm -hmm. it was this huge leap forward, right? Oh, yeah. um, we mm. could post pictures, we could browse the, the web. It was fairly speedy to load web pages. Uh, you could even watch 
very stuttering uh, <laughs> YouTube uh, stuff if you you put your your mind to it. Um, but LTE was this mm. enormous leap. It was home broadband, but in your hand. Uh, I think in Malaysia it launched in um, 2013, but um, probably most of us were only buying devices that could make the most of it around probably about 2015. But, um, you know, I think I'm right in saying that where my mum lives in the UK, 4G coverage is still very, very spotty. But it's hard for us to remember browsing before 4G, um, let alone trying to get online uh, in the early noughties with 2G internet and those horrible WAP uh, websites. I mean, do you remember browsing through a WAP portal? Oh my God, yeah. Um, I was using Nokia phones and going online trying to download polyphonic ringtones and stuff with WAP browsing. Oh my God, yeah. Exactly. That's a word I've never heard in this entire decade. I, no, exactly. And, but that was that was the early naughty. I yeah. mean, that's less than 20 years ago that we were using this kind of text-based yeah, system yeah, yeah, yeah. for browsing online. But, you know, both of us worked on a series of spots about um, 5G mm. technologies this year. <laughs> and I think most of us are going to start to see that technology creeping into daily life from next year. And I'm expecting that that's mm. going to do the same thing again, that there's going to be this exponential leap. So by 2025, we'll hardly be able to imagine brow what browsing was like using 4G. It will seem so slow <laughs> and glacial because, you know, by that point, our phones or our smart contact lenses <laughs> will be streaming 6K video um, and they'll be capable of projecting those images onto you know a cinema sized screen netflix as cinema well that was a big discussion this year right the martin scorsese the mm. irishman mm. this idea of what is cinema what films should be shown <laughs> and what shouldn't be but potentially we can all have our own streaming big screens in a few years time and that kind of discussion will just have disappeared mm. completely um but on the subject of which i mean it's hard to imagine how on demand content has changed the way that we consume entertainment uh in 2010 movies tv music games software you know it was still all pretty much boxed in. Uh, music was the the first to kind of go into that streaming environment, largely because the, the file sizes are relatively compact. But TV and movies were still, you know, you could get them on free-to-air TV or from an expensive satellite or cable TV service. There were some on-demand options, but largely you still had to follow a schedule. Mm. You could watch an on-demand movie, but it was shown in like two or three-hour blocks. Yeah. But when was the last time you watch scheduled TV? Honestly, none. Many years. The entire 2019, I don't think I've watched scheduled TV. 2018? Maybe I once. Mean, yeah. 2017, maybe once or twice. It's, it's yeah, I, I just don't watch scheduled TV at all. No, exactly. And very <laughs> few of us do. But mm. this idea of streaming content is really, really yeah. new. But our behavior <laughs> has changed so completely. You know, that habit seems to be um, permanent. I mean, even thinking about having mm. to sit down to watch the program at a certain time, it's irritating. Yeah. Do, you, do you know what I mean? Just that memory of, oh my gosh, I have to be sitting there at 7.15 and then there's going to be a commercial break mm. and blah, blah, blah. That was, that was the reality of our lives for 
30, 35, in my case, over 40 years. Um, <laughs> but now it just seems irritating. I think the only time that I've sat down to watch a scheduled TV is probably for live sports. But that's because just sports is one of those live kind of things. You know, it has a time and then you sit down and you watch TV because you can't get sports on demand. But but even with that, yeah. do you still what, use the live viewing option and rewind like goals and well, that I've, kind of thing as well? I've got an app where I can then, you know, watch the game if I missed the game completely and watch it as per if it was live. So yeah, it doesn't matter if I missed it compared to before if I missed it i've missed it and now i can go back and watch it anytime so why do you think some streaming services are reviving this weekly episode format well when i was growing up i had family members who worked at a cadbury's factory um, in or around liverpool um, they were allowed to eat as many biscuits as they wanted <laughs> when they were working on the line but after a few days of them they got so sick mm. that they never touched the biscuits again it was the same when i was strawberry picking as a kid you could eat as much as you want but you were just sick, so you didn't do it. And I think the weekly episodes is something similar. You know, we've binged too much. Mm. Now we want to savor it a little bit more. But that doesn't mean that we want this timetable. We want the illusion of scarcity. We want the creation of those water cooler, those conversation moments. But we still want to be able to choose how and when we watch or listen to content. Amazing, we've managed to get through a full half of the show without Matt mentioning Facebook, which can only mean more of Facebook or Facebook itself after the break. BFM 89.9. Break from monotony. BFM 89.9. Welcome back. And today we're not just looking back at the year in tech here on MSP. We're looking at the full decade. Matt has already been talking about the good old days in the chocolate factory. What other Hey Boomer baloney is he going to come up with? Well, listen, <laughs> young man, um, just because I remember when video games came on cartridges and 8 bits was cutting edge, um, you know, you'll never feel the thrill of your Pac-Man being eaten by a ghost for the first time after just 10 seconds and having no more pocket money and having to wait a week before you can come back and try again. And if that means I smell of mothballs and worth as originals, then I wear those medals with pride. Um <laughs> No, we haven't mentioned um, Facebook mm. uh, so far. Um, one of the reasons that we haven't is because I've been asked to get listeners across the 70% listen to threshold. <laughs> um, so we'll come back to that. Um, but, you know, we've had this whole data explosion that means I can tell what percentage of the show someone has listened to. And mm. that's also been part of the change that we've seen over the last 10 years. So where would you like to go, oldie one Kenobi? <laughs> I know where I'd like you to go. Um, before we, we go to data, let's let's talk about self-driving cars. Mm. Now, they're still not quite here. Um, we've spent most of the last 10 years saying they're still <laughs> not quite here. I think, was it 2006 when the, the kind of became public that uh, I think Google and other companies were looking yeah. into doing this? Yeah, so it's actually been quite a while. Mm -hmm. um, but the last decade has seen an enormous rise in automation in pretty much every other sphere. But it's the self-driving car that's the one that really, you know, grabs our mm. imagination, probably because, you know, so many of us spend all that time commuting. And in our minds, it's like, 
isn't that what machines and robots are for, to actually take the weight <laughs> of those things that, that we hate doing? Well, there have been some high-profile setbacks, though. Uh, yeah, there were uh, the accidents with mm. the self-drive mode on Teslas. There was the other one with a company I'm not going to name any more times where a pedestrian was uh, was killed. Mm. Um and although there have been large-scale tests, um, some states in the US, for example, have been quite friendly towards um, automated cars, there are still uh, regulatory hurdles to, to cross. Um, but we're told that there will be um, self-driving you know, uh, public transport mm. services in Singapore, for example. Volvo is moving ahead with all kinds of automation um, for commercial vehicles as well as for passenger vehicles. We've seen drone helicopter taxis um, from mm. Chinese companies. Um, and when you look at this, you know, in some ways, 2010 was actually closer to 1950 <sighs> than the, the world we're living in coming up to 2020. Well, man, I think you might be exaggerating a little bit I, here. I am, but actually not by that much. Um, was it recently that one of the world's leading <laughs> Go players said yeah. he was giving up the game? That was just a few weeks yeah, ago, right? Yeah. The, the computers are too smart and there's no <laughs> point in doing it anymore. That's something he spent his whole life dedicated to. Mm. Um, and Go was essentially the most fiendishly difficult game that human beings had, uh, apart from the cones of Dunshire, <laughs> of course. But the, the point is that, you know, the, the tech is already there. Mm. Um, but one of the things that I think has really surprised me about the, especially the last decade, is actually how slow we've been to adopt electric cars. Now, the first um, Prius mm. came out in 1997. Oh. Uh, and yeah, exactly. Oh. A really long time ago yeah. by most uh, consideration. <laughs> you know, there are, there are people now who are adults mm. who were born <laughs> into the era of the Prius. So look at how fast other tech has been adopted, mm. but we're still burning carbohydrates in our cars. How's... I know they're not carbohydrates, <laughs> but you know. How's your hybrid? Uh, yeah, I know. Practice what you preach. Um, but that's the thing, right? You know, there have been incentives to buy electric in mm. a lot of countries, but there's not really been a concerted effort at the infrastructure needed. Uh, charging points are still a novelty in uh, in most countries or much more of a novelty than they are actually a useful network or grid. Mm. Now, we've touched on data. Would you say that this has been the smart decade? Well, we couldn't get through this episode without mentioning Juicero. Um, you know, this has mm. been the decade of dumb ideas with a smart <laughs> suffix. Um, you name it and there's a smart version of whatever it happens to be. Um, in the old days, we used to call it remote control. <laughs> um, but now, of course, it's smart. But um, as you said, I think in uh, in Geeks last week, mm. the guy who hacked his vacuum cleaner to play uh, a music streaming service, you know, how useful is that? How useful is a toaster with an app? <laughs> um, I, I saw a, an ad for another of those smart bottles the other day that uh, comes with an app that tracks your not just your hydration, but your mineral intake levels. <laughs> um, you know, so we've had some genuinely smart tech, but most things... If you put the word smart in the front of something or you have to put the word smart mm. in the front of something, it probably isn't that smart. Because if you're really smart, you don't have to talk about it. You don't have to shout about it. People can already see it. Are you talking about yourself? Um, no, because there's no app for me. So obviously <laughs> I don't actually exist. Um, 
But I think, you know, one of the real defining things about this decade has been uh, disruption. Oh, another of your pet hates. Um, yeah, admittedly, I'm more a fan of breaking things than moving fast. <laughs> but I think that's true of most people. Uh you know, we've seen a weird transformation of the uh, tech ideals of the noughties. Um, they weren't exactly altruistic, but they were kind of a lot more democratic. And we've seen them transform into this model that is, you know, potentially a lot more selfish. Uh, we've seen the gig economy uh, emerge. Now, we saw that flourish mm. during the last economic downturn. People turned to gig jobs, whether it was driving or delivery or freelancing, to make a bit of extra cash in a period where wages were pretty tight. But, you know, and this is this kind of very real danger has kind of become the truth. We're seeing those gig jobs become the only jobs. Mm. Um, and the idea of this um, decentralization of money, this decentralization of the economy in the name of technology, it was actually to make it more accessible um, and to take it out of the hands of, you know, all of these brokers and middlemen. And you think we've gone the wrong way? Well, entirely, you know, now your job depends on how many stars you get. You know, you, you don't get to have a bad day. Mm. Be best. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is kind of the irony of the selfie generation, um, where everyone is the star of their own soap opera. <laughs> you know, you've got this self-induced pressure to be at your best all of the time, um, socially, professionally. We've lost the space to relax in private and be a slob. You know, your house has to be immaculate in case you have to post an emergency selfie because you've run out of oat milk. <laughs> Are you generation bashing again? Uh, no, my wife and I drink oat milk. I'm quite <laughs> partial to uh, quinoa. Um, and of course, you know, I don't want to heap uh, scorn on the millennials and the Zoomers. Mm, okay, Boomer. Uh, wow, that's twice <laughs> in one show. And I am a Gen Xer. Thank you very much. Um, but recent articles have come out saying that um, my generation, the Gen Xers, has been actually even worse for the planet and mm. the environment and the economy than the boomers because we're the ones who mouth the platitudes, but we actually do nothing to change stuff. <laughs> How's your hybrid? Yeah, move along. Uh, <laughs> nothing to see here. Um, no, we were talking about the, the gig economy, right? But even that is part of this bigger picture of big data and artificial intelligence, you know, AI is, as we keep saying, it's incredible and stupid at the mm. same time. You know, when we were talking about 5G earlier, uh, when you think about the kind of data transfer speeds that tech will have, you can imagine all these incredible computational devices that will be available on the fly. You know, you can forget chatbots. We're looking at real-time modeling of your body and your body being put into the new clothes that you're, you're looking at online. But it's still not in our heads. No, and I'm, I'm really glad that it isn't because there are a lot <laughs> of decisions that we have to make before we get there. But if we go to back to disruption, we have to sort out who owns the technology, who owns the software, who owns the hardware. And we have to figure out what our rights are going to be. You know, for the time being, uh, like the, 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 the silicon neuron chip story mm. we talked about um, last week, this tech will be for essential medical procedures. You know, Matt, we still haven't really mentioned Facebook. Exactly. You know, no one needs me to tell them how defining <laughs> social media has been to the last decade because it's all already there on your feeds. You can just look back at it. 
And I don't need to go over the uh, whole privacy <laughs> thing again. You can just go back into the MSP archive. Um, it's here on BFM. It's on our standalone feed. Uh, there are numerous shows on the topic of um, privacy. Mm. And I know that sometimes the show goes quite dark, but I wanted to highlight, you know, how incredible the advances are that we've made over the 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 last 10 years. Mm. Um, you know, this show has barely scratched the surface. We haven't mentioned the horrible death of Steve Jobs, detecting the first gravitational waves, advances in gaming and CGI engines, the launch of Tinder, mm. WikiLeaks, Gamergate, SpaceX landing a rocket. Um, we managed to contain Ebola. Uh, we have drugs that can virtually eliminate the traces of HIV in the bloodstream. Uh, we've found organic material on Mars. And, you know, for the first time, a spacecraft a probe has left our solar system. You know, the, the blind spot is in who gets to control those advances. Um, I want it to be all of us. Some other people would rather see the power and the money and the influence being concentrated in a smaller number of hands. Um, but, you know, we have this tendency to make it sound like a battle, that there's one side or another side, and it isn't really. What we really have are just choices. And it's kind of ironic because in an era where large-scale collaboration has never been easier, we're presented with these supposedly polarised opinions and positions. You know, if the 20s was the decade of disruption, I can only hope that the 20s will be the decade where we teach the technology and the technologists to work on our behalf. Mm. I, I don't know if we should actually call the decade the 20s. It just sounds weird. To I like it. Ah. And it really annoys people. Ah. So that's another reason to use it. <laughs> well, with that, though, uh, we are wrapping up the year. So we're going to say Happy New Year to everyone. And we will continue in the next decade. And I will say see you beyond the black hole. BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.